0: Thank you for joining us today for our River of Life podcast with Brother Bill Jenkins. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrofferville.com. That's rolcrofferville.com. Now, let's join Brother Bill Jenkins as he teaches from the Word of God.
1: We are going to be looking into Second Corinthians tonight. And I'm going to give you a, a little bit of introduction about the message before we get started. Y'all good to, glad to be in church tonight? Amen? Amen. I have uh, Derek called. I was down in Polk City, uh, Florida, doing a revival last week. And he said, I'm going to have to be out of town next week. Could you possibly teach for me? And I said, I'm thrilled that you would ask me. And immediately, God gave me a word about what I was to teach on tonight. Uh, that was last tuesday i believe it was uh had a great revival by the way we had either five or six people saved and uh lives were changed the altars were filled every night and uh amazing thing in a revival uh we had as many people on wednesday night as we did on sunday morning wow what about that and monday and tuesday night the churches were full and uh had a lot to do with the good music that they had had nothing to do with the preaching but uh uh, we had a great time in the Lord. Just excited about what God did. Anyway, uh, I've tried to get away from this. Probably, well, ever since last Tuesday when He called me, I knew what I was supposed to preach because I've been studying it. And yet, I wanted to go somewhere else. If you ever, have y'all ever, anybody's ever taught or preached, you know what I'm talking about. It's just on your heart, and you know that there's people in the church that God's got this for you tonight okay now I I want you to think in the way of an introduction about this for just a second has there ever been a time when you were misunderstood has there ever been a time uh, when those you were trying to help completely misconstrued all of your efforts and uh, really, it became a problem. If, if you and I were to describe the Apostle Paul, we would probably describe him with words like evangelistic, energetic, uh, powerful, because some of the things that he wrote. You probably would never use the terminology dejected. You probably would never think of the Apostle Paul as being despised. You would probably never think of the Apostle Paul as being downcast. And yet as we study the Word of God, we find that there were some situations in Paul's life where those things were actually taking place. You've got your Bible there in front of you, and it'll be on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Second Corinthians chapter number one, and I just gave them one scripture. That wind's gonna blow. Okay, some of y'all turn y'all's on. I have to open mine. Okay, listen to what he says here in verse number eight. 2 Corinthians chapter one, verse number eight. For we would not, brethren, who's he talking to? The church. We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life, verse number 9, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. There's two phrases in verse number 8. I, I, I want you to just kind of get a hold of because you probably said something similar to this. The first one is this. He said, because of what was going on with the churches and the persecution that he was pressed out of measure. Now you probably wouldn't have said it that way. You might have said it this way. When I heard what they were saying about me, I was just Crushed. I could not believe that they would say that about me. The second thing that he said here in this passage of Scripture, he said down in verse number 8 he said, I despaired even of life. You would have said it this way. I could have just died. Ever said that? I could have just died. What in the world is the Apostle Paul talking about? This is from. If you, how many? Do you, do, does anybody even know what a Schofield Bible is? Okay. Does anybody own a Schofield Bible? Okay. There used to be. There was a time a few years ago, like forty, where everybody had them. Anyway, this is the introduction to Second Corinthians from the Schofield Bible. It says, "This epistle discloses the touching state of the great apostle at this time." It was one of physical weakness, weariness, and pain. But his spiritual burdens were even greater. These were two kinds. First, there was the solicitude for the maintenance of the church in grace as against the law teachers and the anguish of heart over the distrust that he felt toward him by the Jews and the jewish christians here's a man that's out there he's given his life for the cause of christ and if you were to go over quickly to 11th chapter you don't have to turn there but in the 11th chapter he goes into almost if you will a list of the things that he has suffered for the cause of christ he's pouring himself out as an offering before god and yet they were saying things about Paul that just weren't true. In fact, they were generating distrust of the Apostle Paul to the extent that Second Corinthians is actually written in defense of his apostleship and his ministry. Chuck Swindoll, this is what he wrote. Second Corinthians reminds us that even as Christians, we hurt each other. And we need to forgive those who wrong us, that Paul was willing to exhort the Corinthian believers to forgive those who had fallen away and repented, even as he defended his own apostleship against a vocal opposition. It illustrates the apostles' commitment to this way of life among God's people vocal opposition what have you got you're going to say bad about the apostle paul the english standard version bible in their introduction to second corinthians it says paul's opponents had questioned his motives and his personal courage they argued that he had suffered too much to be a spirit-filled apostle of the risen christ I don't know how you get to that point. You know, he's suffering too much, so he must not be of God. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? So what you have in your Bible is the Apostle Paul, and he's basically trying to answer two of the accusations in the first chapters. The first accusation they made against Paul was that he was a nut, that he was a madman. And that's the reason that everywhere he went, he ended up in jail because he was a madman. And there's a verse of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 13, where he answers that accusation. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 13. This is what he says. For whether we be beside ourselves, it's of God. Or whether we be sober, right thinking, it is for your cause. He said, if if I'm crazy, if I'm a madman, it's because I'm mad about God. Amen. The second accusation they made about him was that he had suffered enough, that he had been through enough, and it was time for him to step back and let some younger people take over. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand up because we don't want to hear all the knees creaking, okay? But if you're over 50 years of age, would you just raise your hand? You ever get the feeling, and Satan's good about this, isn't he? He kind of camps out at our door because we have those mornings when we just don't feel like going and satan comes along and says you've done enough your race is run just throw it up in the idol and just coast across the finish line am i the only one he's ever told that to i heard this story about these two old people laying in bed and this man reached over it's early in the morning he took his wife by the hand And she said, don't touch me. And it was early. And he knew he had, he thought real quick. He hadn't done anything wrong yet as far as he knew. And so he squeezed her hand. She said, I told you, don't touch me. He said, woman, what's wrong with you? She said, I'm dead. He said, you can't be dead. You're talking to me. He said, "I must be dead. There ain't nothing hurtin." <laughs> you been there, hey man? There's a lot of times when we get up and say good morning, Lord, but there's a lot of times we say, "Good Lord, this morning." <laughs> Why don't you just throw it in, in idle? and this is a reoccurring theme in your Bible do you know over in Hebrews chapter 12 you don't have to turn there but in verses 1 through 3 he talks about being compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside the sin and the weight which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author, the finisher of our faith and then this statement you've not yet resisted unto blood (laughs) you think you got it bad? Nobody's trying to lock you up for preaching on the corner. You think you're going through some stuff? Oh, no different. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, listen to his defense. You'll find it in chapter 4 and verse number 1. Chapter 4, verse number 1. Paul, why don't you just quit? Listen to what he says. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. You see, God had called him into the ministry. And by the way, if you're a born-again child of God, he's called you into a ministry too. Everybody in this room that names the name of Jesus, you're in the ministry. All of us have different functions. All of us have different positions. And this is what Paul says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, As we have received mercy, we faint not. Here's two words. The first one is mercy. We know about mercy, don't we? We're thankful for mercy. It's of the Lord's compassion that we're not consumed every day. Thank God for mercy. Somebody said, when I get to the throne room, I want justice. Not me. No, sir, I want mercy, grace, abounding grace. But listen to what he said. He said, Because I've received that mercy, I cannot faint. Look in your Bible there, if you will, down in verse number 16. He says, For the which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perished, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Two times in this fourth chapter, he uses that little word, faint. Now that's important because I wanted to know what he meant by that. Exactly what do you mean, Paul, when you say, I can't faint? And this is what I found. According to Thayer's Greek lexicon of New Testament words, that little word carries with it a word picture. And the word picture that Thayer gives it there is of a ship that's completely laden down with cargo. The sailors are on board. The anchor has been hoisted. But for some reason, they didn't put the sails up. And the ship could not do what it was designed to do because the sh- sails weren't up. The second word picture that he gives this little word faint. It's the picture of a soldier, a, a, a man of, that has that been trained for war. He has been, he's been gifted in the in the elements of, of, of battle. He knows exactly how to defeat the enemy. And, and he sees the enemy approaching, and he has his armor on, and he's got his training. And, but rather than fight, he reaches up, and he unstrings his bow. He literally surrenders in the face of the enemy. The Apostle Paul uses that very word in these two scriptures, and again in Galatians chapter 6 where he says, and you shall reap if you faint not. And so the terminology is that Paul is telling us that because he's got this ministry, And because he's received the grace of an almighty God and and, and the mercy that there's no way when he sees the enemy coming that he's going to reach up and unstring his bow. In chapter 5 he elaborates by telling us the things that keep him doing what he's doing you got your Bible there in front of you. Look, if you will, in verse number 10. Y'all still glad you came tonight? It's past the time of slipping out, in case any of you were wondering. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. Actually, I'm going to begin in verse number 9, but we'll be in verse number 10 in just a second. He says, wherefore we labor, why do we keep doing what we're doing? That whether present, that means right now in the ministry, or absent, that means he dies and goes on to be with Jesus, we may be accepted of him. What does it take to be accepted of the master? Well, the Bible is very quick to tell us that it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. In fact he says in verse number 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. According to this passage of Scripture that's in front of us here The Word of God says that Paul says that when I see the enemy advancing and I see evil multiplying, and he lived in a vile, wicked time, and Corinth was a vile, wicked city, he says when I see the enemy advancing, I cannot stop and reach up and unstring my bow. And the reason that I can't do that It's because one day I'm going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to have to give an account of my ministry. And then he says in verse number 10, we all must appear there. This, 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 this judgment that he's talking about here is not a judgment of condemnation where you have to pay for your sin. No, those, that's for lost people. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ died for you on Calvary's cross, he died for all of your sin? Let me give you a verse. This is not up there. This is going to drive those people in the back crazy. But I want to read this verse of Scripture too. It's first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. Listen to what he says about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, "...who delivered us," Past tense from so great a death, and doth deliver, present tense, and whom we trust, that he will yet deliver, past, present, future. That's my God. Amen? He's in the process of delivering me from what I was. Now, Paul's saying this. Paul's saying that you have a ministry, all of you, and that one day you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you're going to give an account for that ministry. Don't be guilty of reaching up and unstringing your bow. You've not crossed the finish line yet. You've not yet resisted unto blood. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who gets to close things down. Amen? He's the one who who brings you to the finish line. He who has started a good work in you will be faithful to what? Complete it. And the day will come when you will complete your race. But before you get there, don't you be guilty of reaching up and unstringing your bow. I've heard all kind of people make all kind of excuses. Preacher, won't nobody miss me. Uh, Preacher, if I was to leave, why, shoot, there wouldn't anybody come in looking for me. I've heard all of that. You know, there was a, a, a seminary professor By the name, he's dead now. His name was Howard Hendricks. And Howard Hendricks did an in-depth study at Dallas Theological Seminary. And in this study, he he compiled an exhaustive study of the 100 most prominent men and women of the Bible. 100 most prominent men. You know, like, you know, uh, Peter, Paul, Mary. They sound like a singing group, don't they? Uh, Prominent people. David, Saul. 100 most prominent people in the Bible. This is what he said. His conclusion is that of the most prominent men and women in the Bible, two-thirds finish poorly. Most of them turned to immorality or either just drifted away from their faith. How is that possible? Somehow in the process of living the Christian life, we began to think that it's all about us. We forget that when we got saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. According to Ephesians chapter 2, we had no hope. We had no one coming by to throw us a life ring. We were not going under for the third time. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. But God, who loved us enough to send his son to die in our place, gave us grace. And the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But he didn't save you so that you could settle on a pew until he came. In fact, what you find as you study the word of God, is that because he saved you, he has called you to become a living sacrifice. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And here it is. Are you ready? Which is your reasonable After all he's done for you, this is the least you can do for him. Paul said, I've got this ministry, and that's the reason I'm working. That's the reason I'm laboring. I'm not going to unstring my bow. I'm not going to faint. I'm not going to quit. Why? Because one day I'm going to stand before him. By the way, this judgment is mentioned in Romans chapter 14 and again over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul really goes into detail about the day when you and I as born-again Christians stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's on that day, and it's called the Bema Seat Judgment, when each one of us individually will pass by the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll give an account for the works done in the flesh, whether they be good or bad, and the Word of God says every man is going to receive a reward for the things that they've done in the flesh but there'll be some there that will not receive any reward at all in fact the word of god says that their works which are wood and hay and stubble which literally means they worked for themselves and for the glory that they could receive out of it and if they couldn't receive any glory then praise god they weren't involved in it and all of that is cast into the fire and the fire burns it all up, and all they're left with is the foundation, 1 Corinthians 3.11. And yet the Bible says, and so shall they be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, I don't know about you. I, I, I kind of get a little bit of the Apostle Paul's mindset here, all right? Here's the mindset of the Apostle Paul. That ain't going to be me. Amen. I'm not going to stand there looking at the Lord saying, Lord, after all you did for me in my ministry, I did absolutely nothing for you. Paul said, that's not going to be me. There's a second thing, a second reason, if you will, listed in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that Paul gives us for not unstringing your bow. Y'all haven't closed your Bible yet, have you? Somebody said on the back row, I thought he was through. Are you kidding listen to what it says here we read verses 9 and 10 wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to who hath done them whether it be good or bad now this phrase knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men what does that mean What is the terror of the Lord? The terror of the Lord is given to us in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 and following. Where the Word of God says that whosoever's name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life was taken and cast into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In Revelation chapter number 14, talking about those who who bowed down in front of the Antichrist, the Bible says that the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever now this is what paul is saying paul says i know about what happens to people who die lost i know that every person who dies without jesus faces the terror of the lord he faces god with no savior he faces god with no love he faces god with no grace and he faces god with no mercy he says i know about the terror of the lord And that's the reason I won't unstring my bow. I keep thinking about my children and my grandchildren. And I keep thinking about the boys and girls out here in the youth building. And I keep thinking about all those children over there in the children's building. If Paul were here today, he would tell you quickly the reason that he wasn't going to unstring his bow is because he didn't want to see one of them die and go to hell. In fact, Paul would enlarge our vision, and he would tell you that if if, if it was up to him, he wouldn't have anybody in Wakulla County die and go to hell. He wouldn't have anybody in the United States. In fact, I believe that just like the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul might very well say that, that, that he doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. In fact, the Word of God tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. Why, why Why don't you quit, Paul? Look, you've been through enough. You've been beaten, you've been shipwrecked, and people think you're crazy, and the ones that are supposed to be behind you, they don't even like you no more. Why don't you just quit? And about that time a little 7 or 8 year old boy would walk by and the Apostle Paul would point to it, say, son, do you know about my Jesus? He couldn't unstring his bow. There's a third thing and I've got to give it to you quickly. Notice what the Bible says down in verse number 14. It says, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all Then we're all dead. Paul never got over the fact that the Lord loved him. Uh, His testimony, every time, have you noticed in the book of Acts, every time he gets a chance, he gives his testimony. He wants people to know that the Lord loved him. And there's a special word in verse number 14. He says, the love of God constraineth me. And in the, in the Greek, it is the, and I hope I get this pronunciation right, Brother Henry, Sanuho. And it, by definition, it, it has a dual meaning. It says, because he loves me, there are some things I'm not going to stop doing. I just got to do them. Why? Because he loves me. You know, when we come in here and, and uh, we worship, <laughs> i got to tell you, I was down there in, uh, in this Baptist church this last week and uh, you've corrupted me because they got to the praising God. I couldn't help it. i throw my hands up. <laughs> well, Linda already had hers up. <laughs> when, I, when I get a grasp, about how much he loves. I can't help but worship. Man, I want to praise God. I want want to sing songs. Even if I can't sing, it doesn't matter to me. I hope it doesn't matter to you. I want to thank God for what he's done for this old boy. If you could see where I once was, as the song says, you'd be totally amazed at what God can do. You say, well, you ain't much. He didn't have much to begin with. But the word also has another meaning. The word constraineth is used there. The love of God constrains Not only does it mean there are some things that I will never stop doing, but it also means there are some things that I will not do. When I think of how much he loves me, there's some places I'm not going to go. Amen. When I, when I think about how much he loves me, there's some, there's some shows I'm not going to watch. I don't know if y'all are in this boat or not. Uh, <laughs> Linda and I have gotten to the point that we, don't, we might as well sell our TVs. I mean, we watch the, I think it's the, the, the Me Channel. And, and, you know, I mean, after, after the Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy go off, we get an hour of Andy Griffith, and, and then we get 30 minutes of the Beverly Hillbillies, and then we get 30 more minutes of Green Acres, And it's time to go to bed. There's just some things because he loves me. I'm not going to be involved in. I'm not going to let my, you know, we used to sing that little song, be careful little feet where you go. Be careful little hands what you do. Be careful little eyes what you see. All of that was based upon the fact that he loves me. And I, I, I want to return my love toward him. There's a fourth thing. The Apostle Paul said, I can't unstring my bow. When, 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 when people tell me to stop and to quit and that you're old and fat and bald-headed, I, I can't unstring my bow. Why, 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 why don't you just stop? Well, number one, preacher, one day I'm going to have to stand before him and give him account. No, number two, preacher, when I think about the people that are dying and going into hell every day, I can't unstring my bow. Preacher, when I think about how much he loved me, that he would send his son to die for me, preacher, I can't, I can't quit. Here's a fourth reason. you got it right there in front of you. Chapter 5, verse number 17. The Apostle Paul makes this statement. He says, therefore, if, and boy, that's a big word, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul said, I can't quit because of what he does when he shows up in other people's lives. There's no hymn. We used to sing it. It says, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. Since Jesus came into my heart, I have light in my soul for which long I have sought. Since Jesus came into my heart. Paul is literally saying, because of Jesus and salvation, I am what I could have never been without him. My old desires have been crucified. And in their place, God has planted new direction, new desire, led by the Holy Spirit of God. I'm sure Brother Henry and several others to tell you about those people like Scooter and what happened in their life when Jesus came into their life. And what a chance. I-, I wonder how many of the apostle Paul had seen. I know he saw the Philippian jailer. You remember Acts chapter 16? The word of God says the midnight hour, he's been beaten and bruised, and they're in the inner prison, their feet are fast in the stocks. You can see it, it's black, dark in there. Maybe the rats and the cockroaches are running across their toes. And they're waking up from this beating and rather than complaining and having the mully grubs and saying, oh man, here we go again. No, they're singing and praising God. And the word of God says there's an earthquake. And the old jailer comes in there. He's thinking that all the prisoners are escaped and and he's about to kill himself. And the apostle Paul's voice rings out, do thyself no harm. We're all here. And the jailer called for a light. You see, he didn't really know what he was asking for because Jesus is the light. Amen. And he came into where Paul and Silas, the only place in all the Word of God where the question is asked just like this. Acts chapter 16, verse number 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. What happened next? The Bible said he took them out of jail. That was the death penalty for him. He took them out of jail. Took them to his house. And he he put food in. And and he set them down in his chair. And you see he's got a basin of water there. And a sponge. And he's bathing their back. That's the very stripes that he had put on them. But now he's washing their wounds. Oh what a change. And my life has been wrought. Since Jesus came into my heart. Checking my time. I uh, have already messed up tonight. My wife three times this week has reminded me that I am to teach tonight and not preach. I blew that one, didn't I? And if you've noticed, I've been very careful to get close but not past that black box because <laughs> Diane told me not to pass the black box. Okay. I was pastoring. I was going to school at Southern Baptist College, which after I graduated, I don't know why, but they changed the name of the school and it's Williams Baptist College now. But I was there and Brother Jack Stanley came to do a revival with us. And uh, I was a young preacher, you know, and I was about to worry him to death trying to figure out, you know, he pastored this great big old church and here I am, you know, saying grace over about 50 out there and going to school and everything and We're out during the revival, and we're knocking on doors, and we're visiting people. And He noticed that we kept passing this one house over and over and over, and we never stopped. And finally, about Wednesday, he said, Bill, why don't we stop at that house? You've stopped at every other house in Biggers, Arkansas. And I said, we don't want to stop there, because that's where Billy lived. Billy had a reputation of whipping Preachers. How would you like to be known for that in your community? Several had been there trying to share Jesus' love with him, and he jumped on them. And I knew that Brother Jack was an older man, and I, you know, I didn't want to have to tote him out. (laughs) Or me either, for that matter. (laughs) But that day, Jack said, stop. And we stopped. We got out of the car and walked up there and there was no pickup truck and it was jacked up in the back end, it had a tire off of it and two legs sticking out from under it. And I thought with my heart, well, praise God, this is going to be all right. I know I can outrun him before he gets out from under that truck. So I said, Billy, he said, what? I said, it's brother Bill from down at the church down there. Me and brother Jack were having a revival this week. We wanted to come by and talk to you about the possibility of coming to church. Going in the house, wife's in there. Very rough, very gruff. Brother Jack Stanley and I went in. She welcomed us with arms wide open. Do y'all want some tea? It was very hot. Yes, we'll take a glass of tea. Have a seat there on the couch. We sat out on the couch. In just a few minutes, we were sitting there talking to her about the Lord. And her heart was already breaking. You see, the Holy Spirit of God will go ahead of you and prepare the soul. And he had already done a bumper crop work in her heart. In just a few minutes... I said, would you like to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? She says, I don't know how. And I began to share with her the Romans road. And we walked down that road together. And I said, Sister, are you ready to pray and ask Christ to come into your eyes? She said, yes, sir, I am. And, and I promise you, I got down on my knees in that floor. I had to push stuff out of the way to get down in the floor with her. And her and my, me and Brother Jack on our knees were praying and were asking christ to come into her life and she's praying and she's weeping and she's rejoicing and i'm rejoicing and i heard the back door open i'm on my knees billy stood about six three six four weighed about 240 pounds and most of it was right here his t-shirt was up here you know how that his pants were down here I'm on my knees. When I opened my eyes, it looked like a huge eyeball looking right at me. I said, Billy, what? I said, Your wife has just received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of her life. She's going to spend an eternity in heaven. Wouldn't you like to be saved? And again, the Holy Spirit of God had already done his office work in that heart. Within just a few moments, that man over six foot tall knelt there beside that same coffee table with all that trash around the floor. He asked Jesus Christ to come into his life, and he got gloriously saved. Wait, no, 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 wait, wait. We left that house rejoicing. I was thrilled to death we were still alive. Amen. I knew the man's reputation. I knew how mean and ugly he could be. And yet God had prepared that way. Oh, what a, what a glorious moment. That night, Billy and his wife came to church. They didn't come sneak in on the back row back there. Oh, no. They walked all the way down to the front and sat right on the front row. Invitation was given. Both of them came up made a public profession of faith. Sunday morning. I'm talking about that happened Wednesday night. Sunday morning. The doors opened at Biggers Baptist Church, and in walked Billy, followed by five head of kids. I knew he didn't have no youngins. They sat there on that pew, and they were just as quiet as they could possibly be. Billy and his wife were baptized that morning. The next Sunday, they come in. Linda's here somewhere. She'll bear witness with it. They had about 12 youngins with them. I, You know me. I had to find out what was going on. Billy's calling these old drinking buddies, and he's—he's t- he's not asking them, can he come get their kids? He's telling them, "I'm coming by in the morning. Have your kids ready." They knew his reputation too. <laughs> Honest before the Lord. Before we left that church, went to pastor up in Missouri at First Baptist Church, Missouri. When I left, he was the head of our bus ministry. He was filling a bus up every Sunday bringing kids to church. Why? Because God gloriously saved him. Paul said, I can't unstring my bow because I see what happens in the lives of men when they truly come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. They are changed. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Paul said, I just can't do it, preacher. I know everybody's telling me to quit. I know everybody thinks I'm crazy. Everybody's telling me to slow down, put it in neutral. I just can't unstring my bow. There's a last thing, and I'll share it with you, and I'm through tonight. The Word of God says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 18. All things that are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. The word reconcile there means to be brought even. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you got saved, God elevated you to the position of sonship. And you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ in all things. And how in the world you're sitting there and not running around here shouting, it's beyond me. Hallelujah to God. And then he goes further, he says, verse number 18. By Jesus Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us a word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. When you got saved... God didn't hold anything against you. Isn't that good? Every once in a while I'll I'll meet one of these so-called Christians and they'll make some stupid statement like this. Y'all don't mind me bearing my heart with you, do you? Preacher, I'll forgive them, but I ain't ever going to forget it. Aren't you glad God didn't do that with you? When I was a boy growing up in North Mississippi, y'all know what an etch a sketch is? A little red box, you know, not. We didn't have one of those. (laughs) What we did have was it it was a piece of cardboard. And it had a picture of a man on it, you know, a good looking guy. He was bald headed and uh, had his arms down by his side like that. And his chest was a big old silver piece of, y'all remember those? And it came with a little old red plastic pencil. And you could write on that man's chest your girlfriend's name, where you hid your brother's toys. You could write anything you wanted to on that man's chest, and then you could reach down and grab the bottom of that silver paper and lift it up. And when you let it back down, miracle of miracles, it was all gone. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation as Christ was in the world, reconciling us unto himself. Now, here's the point. He has committed unto us this same ministry of reconciliation. So that those, and this is what Paul said, those people that are talking about me, I don't hold anything against them. Those people that said that, those, pe- those people that think I'm crazy, those people that are talking so bad, I don't hold one thing against them. I'm reconciling their debt. They owe me nothing. They don't have to apologize. They don't have to get in front of anybody and say I'm sorry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Apostle Paul I can't quit, preacher. I'm an ambassador for Christ. And as an ambassador, I'm here to do business for my king. But there's something great about an ambassador. Before the war starts, the ambassadors are always called home. Amen? I don't know about you. I'm kind of looking forward to the trip. Amen? Amen? It won't be long, whether present or absent. I want to be accepted of him. And as long as I'm here, I want to tell as many people as will listen to me about the grace of God because I don't want to see anybody die and go to hell. And I know that there's going to be days when I feel like unstringing the bow, but when I think about how much he loved me, I, I, I can't do that. I got even when my knee hurts. <laughs> I got to keep going. When I think about Billy and others just like him, and the wonderful change that God wrought in their life, I can't unstring my bow. And when I think about all of my sin. And the vile wickedness that filled my heart. And the fact that Jesus lifted up the paper. And when he let it back down, it was clean, spotless. And the promise is from the book of Jude, one day, he will present me faultless before the Father. I don't know about you. I'm kind of like the old Apostle Paul, I guess. As long as I get the opportunity, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. And and by the way, I don't know what he's called you into, but as long as you're still here, he's not through with you yet. There's still a lot that he wants you to do and accomplish. Father God, thank you for the privilege and the honor we've had tonight of standing before this people. Thank you, Lord God, for Derek calling and giving us this privilege and this opportunity, as well as Brother Henry. Thank you for the attendance tonight in this good crowd. Father, we do love you so much. And God, it'd be my prayer tonight, afresh and anew. I'm yours. Whatever you want, wherever you want. Whenever you want, lead me by your spirit, and may it be for your honor and for your glory.
0: Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200, or email us at info rolcrofferville.com We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrofferville.com for more information and directions.